Welcome to the 20 Minute Bible Study Podcast, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 18? Now, I know that we have not had new episodes in almost two months, and I do apologize for that. We posted a update to our audio feed. You can find uh, the audio version of this podcast at Apple Music and Spotify. Uh, But we had pre-recorded a bunch of episodes and then uh, the data files got corrupted. And uh, with uh, COVID and my kids uh, being home with my kids while they're doing school, working from home, I wasn't able to record new episodes until now. But we are glad to be back and recording again to kind of catch you up to speed on where we have been since we were last together in episode 20. The people of Israel were enslaved in the land of Egypt. And God raised up a deliverer named Moses from among the people. And Moses led God's people out of their slavery in Egypt. And they are now in the wilderness east of the Red Sea. And they have endured the the realities of of trying to have a large mass of people. Now, and it depends on who you read, which scholar or which historian for how many people. Bare minimum, there's at least five, 600,000 people in the wilderness. And some scholars think there could have been up to 2 million people. Uh, I don't think it matters terribly much because whether you have uh, 600,000 or a million or a million and a half, that's far too many people to have long-term sustainability in a wilderness situation like that. And the only thing that can be explained is that God provided miraculously for his people. And they endured uh, lack of water. Um, they endured attacks from uh, tribes. The Amalekites attacked them. And now they are settling in. And Moses's uh, father-in-law, Jethro, has come to visit. Moses His father-in-law was a priest of God among the people of Midian, which is interesting in and of itself, uh, that God had people outside of his people, that God's people Israel were a special chosen people through which he would bring forth Jesus the Messiah. But that doesn't mean that there weren't people in those days who worshipped God outside of uh, the descendants of Abraham. I do think what it shows, though, is that God does at times move. We spoke uh, recently on a, a Sunday morning sermon about the covenants that God establishes. And certainly, um, if you were alive in Abraham's day, we know that in, in the time of Abraham, in the book of Genesis, there was Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, which geographically is now where Jerusalem is, and he was a priest to the true God. And yet, when God established his people and made Salem, then Jerusalem, its capital, and the worship of God was established there, that was the point at which you had to come. And you see that where people that feared God 
from other cultures, you find references all throughout both the Old and the New Testament to them coming to Jerusalem to worship God. The same is true now as that we are in this new covenant. We no longer need to go to Jerusalem to worship God, but you cannot find access to God apart from Jesus Christ. So it's interesting to note that Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, was not Jewish, was a priest of the true God from the people of Midian. Can somebody be a Christian and not be part of a church? Yes. Can somebody be a Christian and not have faith in Jesus Christ? No. Recently on Facebook, a, a Christian man that I respect posted an image, and it was after a football game, a college football game, and it said, look, students from BYU are praying with the other team. Isn't that wonderful? And I commented, no, because if you profess faith in the Mormon religion, you are not praying to the true God. If you believe that Jesus Christ is a created being, if you believe that there is something that you need plus Jesus, and it's not just the Mormons. I remember having a a very pleasant conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, and I asked what you needed to do to be saved, what you needed to do to go to heaven. And he said, well, you need to believe in Jesus and do good works. And I said, then, then you've lost me because Jesus is enough. We are saved by faith through grace and faith in Jesus alone. And anytime you add something, Jesus plus something, Jesus plus good works, Jesus plus church membership, Jesus plus uh, doing a list of things, that is not the gospel of Jesus. And equally, anytime you take away Anytime that you take away from who Jesus is, that is not the gospel. And so if you are a, a football player at BYU or you just, you know, the average, uh, my, I have a neighbor that's a Mormon, and you say, is Jesus fully God? Well, he's the son of God. No, but is he fully God, equal in nature and substance with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit? And if they say no, then they reject Jesus. So here's Jethro, priest of Midian, who believed in the same God we do, truly did. And he's there visiting his son-in-law, Moses, who is leading the people of Israel. The next day, Moses, verse 13, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning until evening. So if you have a large mass of people, 600,000, 700,000, a million, doesn't, doesn't matter. You are going to have conflict. I mean, think about your family, right? Let's say that your average family in America is, you know, four to five people. Uh, you know, mom, dad, couple kids. And then you have an extended family. So there's, um, let's say there's Christmas, your average Christmas gathering is about 20, 25 people. Think about the conflict that happens in just 25 people. You know, we're, we're a church of about 50 adults. Think about that we don't agree on everything. Uh, you know, you have a church of thousands and there's disagreement. These, we're talking about hundreds of thousands. And so they would come to Moses, their leader, and, and they would say, hey, so-and-so, um, they, they uh, you know, they were fooling around and their kid was, was playing 
weird and and uh, it it ripped my the side of my tent open and they're not going to fix it. And so they would go to Moses for that kind of thing. Uh, you know, hey, so-and-so stole my sheep. Hey, um, these two, uh, you know, they, they committed adultery. Whatever it is, you know, it could be something major and it could be something minor, but they would all go to Moses for it. Verse 14, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? So what's going on here is that Jethro is bringing fresh eyes. It's amazing what can seem normal when you're in the middle of it. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but, but people are really good at creating workarounds. Let's say um, something is broken. Maybe something's broken in your car. And uh, I don't know, you know what kind of car was your first car. Um, my first car was given to me on my 18th birthday. And what really happened was my parents gave me a car payment on my 18th birthday and it broke down the next morning on the way to school. I was so excited. I have my own car to drive to school. Finally, I'm a senior in high school. I'm 18 years old. I'm so excited and it breaks down. Now, imagine uh, that, that, you know, you, you, that's your early car, it's your first car, but the window doesn't work right. And so you've learned that to get the window to roll down or up, uh, you have to like press against the door weird, or you can't do it while the car is started. There's something weird with the electrical. And so you have to like, to roll the window up or down, the car has to not be started, but the keys, you know, turned that half turn so that the electrical comes on. I, I'm just throwing out ideas, but the point is we're really good at creating workarounds. And then what happens is six months later, somebody is in your car, a friend of yours is in your car, or, or maybe it was the first time that my dad ever rode in the car with me, uh, you know, because because what parent actually, they get, here's your car, I don't have to drive you anymore, and there's no way that I'm actually getting in the car and being the passenger. I was... I don't think my parents drove in a car with me as the driver until I was almost 30. I don't think that they felt safe. I, I think I had kids by the, by the point that my parents felt safe with me as the driver. I'm just saying. And, but whatever reason, you get fresh perspective, your friend, your parents, whoever, somebody gets in the car after six months of doing this ridiculous workaround to make things work. And they just say, what are you doing? Why don't you fix that window? What? Why is it you've gotten used to this? And I think what's going on here is this fresh eyes. Jethro is coming in and saying, hey, you've gotten used to a bad situation. And I believe that there is a need for that in all of our lives. That all of us need somebody to come in from time to time. I'm not saying every day, but from time to time to give fresh perspective. For me, as a pastor, I am thankful that once a quarter... Our superintendent calls me and he goes through kind of a list of questions because he wants to bring some fresh perspective. And I can say, hey, this is this thing we're dealing with. What do you think? Because he is outside of it. Whereas all of us in the church might be thinking, yeah, this is just the way it is. And we've developed a workaround. And he goes, that's crazy. Just fix the window. Maybe you need that. Maybe you need somebody to speak into your life. I believe the first point of fresh perspective for anyone's life is God, that as I am praying, as I am worshiping, as I am seeking to be filled by the Holy Spirit, that the first point of fresh perspective in my life or in your life is God directly. 
But I also believe that God works through people. There are godly men that I call monthly at least, if not weekly. I have a call sheet is what I call it. It's my call sheet. And I will just, if I have a free 30 minutes, I will call one of these guys. And I'll just say, it may not be anything more than a 20-minute conversation. But I always... I feel like I need people speaking into my life who have an outside perspective. Uh, I think there is a role for that. And in, in our lives, who can bring fresh eyes? God can do it directly. God can do it through people. God can do it through uh, sermons or podcasts, those who God has called and equipped and gifted in teaching. God can do it through books. God can do it through blogs. There's all kinds of ways that God can bring fresh eyes, fresh perspective, because there may be something that's been going on in my life for a long time. And I've just gotten used to that broken situation. I've just gotten used to how things are. I was talking to somebody recently who had lived most of their life in an unhealthy relationship in their family. And, and there had been a lot of uh, emotional uh, abuse in their childhood. And then they got out of the house and they thought, oh, I've set up barriers and boundaries, and then they got a new job, and they moved out of state for a few years, and they realized being away from it all, then they came back, and they saw everything fresh, and they said, wow, this is not healthy. This is what I grew up with, so it's what I'm used to, but this level of abuse, or this level of disrespect, or this level of lacking love or rudeness is not okay. All of us need fresh perspective. Now, verse 15, Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will, Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Now, this makes a certain amount of sense. It's not that Moses is the only one who can hear from God. But Moses has the natural authority to be the final say. Let's say that there's a dispute. One person says, that's my sheep. Another person says, no, that's my sheep. And there's a dispute. Who can settle it? Many uh, years ago, way before I was here, but I've, I've tried to learn the history of our church. And uh, many, many years ago, I think two decades ago, there was a dispute about where the property line was between us and a, and a neighbor who no longer lives in the neighborhood. The na- that dispute could not have been settled between one of us just deciding or even going to another neighbor and saying, hey, here's this dispute. Can you settle for us? Because nobody had that kind of authority. We had to bring in a survey team. Uh, to to mark uh, exactly where the property line was because uh, this neighbor uh, felt that the property line was farther than it really was. There has to be somebody who has natural authority. And then Moses, in addition to having natural leadership as the leader of a group of people or a nation, he was also a prophet. And so he, and, and he would essentially be the, the person to say, this is what God's word says, and this is how it applies. Um that calls into question what kind of authority a pastor has. I do not believe I have authority to tell anyone where to live, who to marry, um, what kind of car to drive. When I was young, I don't, I never experienced this personally, but when I was a kid, there was a movement called the shepherding movement that was very popular among certain streams of the church. And the concept was that everyone had somebody they were under authority to a shepherd. And in, in, in the best sense of this idea, you had somebody who cared about you directly. So if you were in a church setting, the pastor 
might oversee two or three people, and those two or three people might oversee two or three people, and so on and so on, yeah, kind of like a pyramid scheme. And if it's working right, people are just caring about people. Here's two or three people that I check in and I pray with. And then, uh, you know, it goes on down. The downside is, in practice, what really happened was people would just say, hey, I'm thinking about, um, I'm thinking about moving uh it's a good time. The rates are good. I'm going to sell my house, take the equity and, and, and buy a, a different house. I need to get permission from my shepherd. That's silly. I can, as a pastor, I can tell you what the Bible says. And I can hopefully help pray for you and walk things through with you. Um, you know, should I marry this person or not? Well, is that, are they a Christian? Do they love Jesus? Are your calling similar? I can't tell you what to do. I can give you some biblical perspective. If, if they don't love Jesus, then what are you doing? If your callings aren't compatible, then you really should think through that because compatibility is kind of an important thing. But I can't tell you what to do. I don't have that kind of authority. So somebody says, well, what, what authority does a pastor have? And I had a roommate who said, I don't believe pastors have any authority. I don't know that that's true either. Whatever natural authority... Uh, the leaders in our church have, I recognize. And, and and you think, oh, that's just you talking about your authority. No, I recognize the authority of people, natural authority of people in our church. I recognize the natural authority of our, our pastor parish team to speak into my life, to, to call a meeting and say, what's going on here? We see this thing. Can we talk through that? I recognize that. Uh, the there's sort of a, a we're going to talk in a few Sundays about uh, the church and eldership and all this. And I recognize a few people in our church who just naturally are the people that if I have to make a quick decision, they're who I call. Fresh eyes, fresh perspective. His father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourself out. Your work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. So he's not saying you have to do what I'm saying. I'm just saying, listen to me. I'm going to give you some advice. And if you're, if you're smart, you'll listen to me. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens and have them serve as judges for the people at all times and have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. This will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. And he chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over ten thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. I'll just say this. I don't believe that I need to be involved in every decision made at our church, or, or that any pastor needs to be involved in every decision made at any church. Uh, I'm thankful for our small group leaders. I'm thankful for uh, our ministry leaders. I'm thankful for people that uh, can make a decision, and then they uh, you know, can take the lead on it. I think the idea of team and sharing is, is so important. Now, I'm not abdicating my responsibility, and nor should you. Husbands, lead your home. Wives, lead your home. Parents, lead your children. 
Don't abdicate your responsibility, but look for ways to be a team. I'm not abdicating my responsibility as a husband when I, when I say, Angie, how are we going to do this as a team? I'm not abdicating my responsibilities as a father if I say to my kids, how are we going to do this together as a team? And I don't believe that any church is respons- abdicating its responsibilities when we look around and say, how do we do this together as a team? Well, with our time being up, I want to say thank you again for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released every Thursday on Apple Music, Spotify, and video on our Facebook page. You can follow us on social media. All of our social media is at Faith on Hill. My email is adam at faithonhill.com if you have any questions or comments. And we'll see you next week for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.